We now come to the journey of Abram, and like traversing any path, it is important to take it step by step. In this episode, Rabbi Ari and Pastor Danielle read through the opening verses of Genesis chapter 12, stopping along the way to take in the scenery, reflect on the dynamics of the story, and consider the connections to which we are drawn. 25% bigger, 5 blessings, and 125 miles. This week on A Rabbi and a Pastor Walked In. We're going to discuss the beginning of the story of Avram. Even though he was born in the previous chapter, we're in chapter 12 of Genesis, and we're going to do eight verses, and those eight verses, one through eight, are enough to keep us talking for weeks. weeks and so and weeks. sit down, pour yourself a whole cask of beer. and <laughs> Or a cup of coffee. Or a cup of coffee, maybe a pot. <laughs> no, it's not going to go that long. But <laughs> but this is this is a very important story because it is where the story of Avram and Sarai becomes a mission instead of just the story of a child. Yeah. And just and it's no longer the introduction of just here are some people with some names, right, that you might be interested in. They're born, but now we're going to learn more about um, how God is going to start to reach into the world almost in response to the failures thus far, right? Like we've had creation, but then it's the garden incident and Adam, you know, Adam and Eve are having this challenge, right? So that happens. And then Cain and Abel, as we've talked through all these things up to the flood and the Tower of Babel. So what's God going to do? Is Are things just going to continue to be a series of starts and stops, um, missions and failures? Or how can God now try to reach um, God's purposes into the world. And there are two ways God could do it. One is the Sinai way, mm-hmm. where everybody was gathered together in the Jewish people. Of course, not everybody in the world. Like skywriting. Skywriting, boom. Everybody heard the same thing all at the same time. Or you start off with one mating pair, which is kind of similar to a mating pair getting off the ark, as it were, in Noah's Or day. out of the garden. Or out of the garden. And, and you try to spread the word slowly. And the question you have to ask yourself is, why doesn't God just tell us all what to do instead of making us struggle to believe some crazy people who walk through with a story that only they have experienced? Right. Drives me crazy. Drives me crazy. (laughs) Drives you crazy too, huh? Yeah, well, you know, I've had my own experiences. You've had your own experiences with God. And we go out there and I don't usually let them, those are not the basis of why I, of how I try to teach people because they were my experiences. And when people come into me and ask me, you know, I had a vision last night and what does it mean? I say, I don't know. It was a vision to you. Only you know the details of your life and you have the key for opening it. I don't have that. So that's psychotherapy. I mean, I could do that if you want to sit in a couch for a couple months, but I can't do that. So, Well, and prior to this in our narrative, we've had these larger experiences, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. you have the creation of the world and all of humanity sort of having this intimate relationship with God at the very beginning and it going south. And then you have the flood. That's a huge sort of skywriting type event and still things are going south. And you have Tower of Babel and God going down and disrupting all of that and things are still going south. So now let's pick a person. Let's so pick a single we got family. A single family. And the first thing God does is tell them to get out. Now, I went out stargazing. Uh, on an, I'm in part of a, an astronomy club and we have an observatory up in the Santa Cruz Mountains and it's beyond this is the lights of the Bay Area. You can see the other side where the ocean is and it's a clearer sky. And so you can see the stars and the heavens and this, wow. the Milky Way and all kinds of things from there. And it's similar to the story of Avram. He's got to get out of Idol Central. 
in order to see the unity of the world, because otherwise he's just surrounded with clutter in his brain and can't see it. That's the way that we understand it. That's nice. I like that. So God says, Lech Lecha. I'm going to read it in Hebrew just so Please. you can hear it. Lech Lecha. Lech Lecha. If you look at the Hebrew, which doesn't have vowels, it could be Lech Lech or Lecha Lecha. Lech means go. Lecha means to you, masculine. He's talking to Avram. And so Lech Lecha, what does that mean? Go to you. And so one of the stories that the, the rabbis say is, no, 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 it's just the vernacular. There's all kinds of times in the Bible where it says make for yourself or go for yourself or do for yourself. It's just the way they used to talk. Don't make a big deal out of it. Of course, if you're an employed <laughs> rabbi, priest, pastor, whatever you are, it's your job to make a big deal out that's of right. it. I'm sitting here showing Danielle a book that's like a thousand pages long, which is mostly on this uh, chapter. But I, <laughs> <laughs> so making many books, there is no end, says Ecclesiastes. In any case, lech lecha, go to yourself. Now you can say, get yourself going. Is another way to colloquialize it. Right. Get up go, and get going. Get up and get going. Get yourself going. Lech lecha. Or... Lech, lecha, go to yourself, go into yourself, hmm. go into the person you've been being. And the only way you can go into the person you've been being is to leave the surroundings you've been among. Hmm. They've been blinding you to who you are. Or go for your own benefit. Lech, lecha, only out in the world on your own will you be able to blossom. It's like people who leave home and become a big star in New York or L.A. or whatever it is. They go out because they're not going to make it in Peoria. Mm-hmm. So mm -hmm. I don't think that Haran, where he was living, was like Peoria. But in any case, Lech Lecha, get out, get going. Me Artsacha, from your land. Me Moladatacha, from the place you were born. Me Beit Avicha, from your father's house. El Haaretz Asher Aekka. Then to the land I'm going to show you. Now, the rabbis point out the land he was born in was Ur Kasdim. He was born further down the Mesopotamian rivers, closer right. to Basra than he was where he is. So why does it say get out of your native land? And because he'd been there long enough that it become, they, 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 you know, or others translated as being get out from your relatives. But from the ones who bore you, as it were, instead of Moladatacha. Well, the concept of father's house, right? The Beit Av yeah. is in this culture, in this time period, this is a patriarchal culture, a patrilocal culture, and a patrilineal culture, right? So everything is about this father's house. And if you don't have um, a bait of, then you are in deep trouble, right? If you're a widow, if you're an orphan, and you don't have, or a foreigner, and you don't have any context or connection to the house of your father, then you don't have any protection in the world. Because the way that the tribal communities worked in this sort of for lack of a better terminology, you know, Bedouin type community and culture is that this is, if you do something to me and you harm me in any way, my whole community and tribe will respond to that. The Be'av will come and you now have contended with all of us, not just one. But when I leave that, that source and umbrella of protection and go out into the world, I don't have anything anymore. So I think part of what God is asking Abram to do here is, you know, to leave every portion of security to leave every protection that he has. Um, and afterwards, God's like, and, and I'll be with you, right? Like, I'm going to bless you, and I'll be your shield, and I'll be your very great reward. So, like, Abraham, leave this bait of and come to my bait of, hmm. right? There's some sort of shift there that, that God is expecting Abram to do. And Abram has to trust that there will be a way forward for him. And Mark Twain talks about how when he visits um, in his book, The Innocents Abroad, when he visited the 
Middle Eastern lands, you know, long ago, but this is how tribes were working, right? Gertrude Bell talks about it in her memoir called The Desert and the Stone. She's like the female Lawrence of Arabia, right? She's an incredible woman. And she talks about how they would be riding through um, desert wastelands, for lack of a better term, and they would just come upon like one guy sitting there in the middle of the wreckage of what remained of his tent sobbing. And some, tri- some tribe or some other group had come upon them and just scattered and taken everything and left him. And, and they've taken the women and the children and everything else because he didn't have a larger context and community respond to that sort of response. And then, and then that goes back and forth quite a bit as, as they talk about it. I think uh, that's what's so amazing to me is that Abram is going to leave all of those protections. And... Why did he leave? Because yeah. God told him to. We talked a little bit about this the last time. How did he hear God? I'm not going to go into that. But one of the possibilities was that Sarah suggested it. Now, so why would Sarai suggest it? How would we even know that? Why would I get that? Am I just making it up because I'm like a feminist or something? The answer <laughs> is no. If you look at the earlier verse, chapter 2 of Genesis, verse 24, um, it says, Therefore, man and woman, man will be one flesh with a woman. Therefore, a man leaves his father and his mother and cleaves to his wife, and they become one flesh. That's the first time, and the only time between then and now in this verse, that we hear of a man leaving mm-hmm. his father. And so he cleaves to his wife. And so is this a case of Sarai being a visionary? Now, the rabbis, in looking at the previous uh, story where her, where she's mentioned along with Yiska, who becomes Jessica in Shakespearean English, uh, in in the translation of the King James Bible. So, and they say Yiska means a seer that is a prophet. Well, I can tell you that it doesn't. There's just no way. The closest it comes to meaning anything is like a sukkah, that is a piece <laughs> of overhanging foliage that you mm. put up as a harvest hut. But in any case, they say, oh, that means seer. And she was a prophet of equal visionaryhood as Abraham. And so, okay, fine, I don't have any problem wanting to accept that. And perhaps in this thing, she was the impetus to get moving out of Idol Central and to move on to someplace that was different. Hmm. Anyway, just that's how you take, it's called remez. You find a verse in one place, and you find a remez, a hint in that verse, that you can apply someplace else. And putting those two verses together is called cut and paste, or in Hebrew, <laughs> gzera shava, which is cut and paste. It's <laughs> <laughs> such a fun. I know. <laughs> I love it. And, and just for people who might not be as familiar with those um, insights for how rabbinic interpretation occurs, uh, we actually have echoes of that um, in the New Testament in Brit Hadashah, um, where either Jesus or Paul or the disciples, all many participating in a whole bunch of different of those rabbinic interpretations. It was a class, fun class I took in Jerusalem. And it's oh, yeah. I mean, it's in the standard interpretation. Right. In, exactly. in most languages, you find something explicit in one place and cloudy in another. You take the place where it's explicit and you apply it to the cloudy. <laughs> That's right. Although I have to say that if I had done this in seminary, I would have gotten a bad grade. Really? Yes, this type of interpretive lens. Um, it, it's just not people in. We get gold semi- stars for that. I know. I'm jealous. <laughs> it pasted right on your forehead. Right. <laughs> well, you exactly. can't see it. <laughs> like, but Jesus and Peter do it. <laughs> They're like, you're not them. <laughs> so the next thing after Avram and Sarai leave, it says, And I'll make you into a big goy. 
So a lot of people know the word goy, and they know that it is used to refer to non-Jew, but that's because the word goy means nation, nation. and so otherwise known as Gentile, because gens is Latin for nation, and Gentile is the genitive form of gen. Anyway, so Gentile, that's really funny when I see people whose name is Gentile, non-Jews whose name is Gentile. I just don't even know how you would come about that. <laughs> But um, but in any case, uh, as a matter of fact, because in, in Judaism, if you find somebody whose last name is Ashkenazi, they're definitely not Ashkenazi. They're Sephardi. Interesting. Why? <laughs> I don't know. It was a Sephardi living in Ashkenazi. It was a, a, a Portuguese Spanish Jew living in a German country. And everybody, you know, how funny. It's just really weird. All the all the Ashkenazis and Ashkenazis yeah, are, are are Sephardi. But anyway, <laughs> maybe not now because we've all mixed. But I'll make you into a big goy. And the other, the next time that's mentioned is when God is promising the Israelites, you know, uh, goy. Uh, no, they when they became a goy, gadol. Atsum Varav. They became a nation, great, mighty, and, multi- and numerous. Uh, and we used to joke, joke about each other in, in rabbinical school, saying, Goy, non-Jew, Gadol Vatsum, big and mighty, Varav, and a rabbi? <laughs> you? I mean, it was just a way to put each other down. But, uh, and, and, you know, we don't get gold stars for that in rabbinical school. <laughs> anyway, so I'll make you into a big nation. And the next thing is, Avarechecha. I'll bless you and make your name big. Mm-hmm. Now, what does that mean? Well, bless is pretty easy because we use bless in Judaism slightly different than Christians use bless. Right, yep. Because you guys use it for like sanctifying some things. And Well, um, people will say like, I'm so blessed. Like something good happens well, to me, Well, that right? we use, yeah, too. Yeah, right. But to bless something, I mean, when we make a blessing before eating, we're blessing God, not the food. Right, right. If you wanted to say, let's, yeah. Thank God for like, the food. And thank, say grace, right, right yeah. But um, anyway, I'll, I'll make your name big. How does God make Abraham's name big? God adds a letter to it later on. Now he's Abraham. So it's the two ways. Make, your name, make you famous, right. which is obviously true, and also makes the name actually physically bigger yeah. <laughs> by a letter. <laughs> I'm just going to add a little something. 25% bigger. For you, 25% bigger. Okay. <laughs> but it's kind of funny that it actually has a physical reference. Um, and then it says, bracha, and you'll be a blessing. So we have blessing so many times here. And then it goes on. Yeah. That's twice. Avarcha mevarchecha. I will bless your, those who bless you. That's plural. So there's... Four times the word blessing is used. Umekalelcha, and the one who curses you, or I'll curse, but it uses a different word than to curse. And since there aren't any vowels in the text, we put them in later through tradition. Right. It could mean I, ir, I will enlighten. So those people who bless you, I'll bless you, I'll bless them. And people who, and if anyone were to curse you, I'll enlighten them. That's a nice idea. I like that better. But in any case, or, you know, and then it says... Is that a common interpretation? No. No. So it's, it's a modern interpretation. It is interpretation. for people who are in a happy mood, and it's not <laughs> for people who are surrounded by people who hate Jews. But it's not, it's not something that's come into rabbinic interpretation? Yeah, yeah it's a rabbinic. Oh, it's rabbinic. Oh, yeah, I didn't make it up. Interesting. I just... Uh, I, I didn't I, know if it was more like reform interpretation nah, or ancient. Nah. No. For, by the way, in Reform Judaism, as I was trained... We start learning classical Judaism. Of course. And so yeah. all of these things that I do in terms of interpreting are all classical interpretative 
techniques and you just once you get used to it you you can't stop seeing it right so there's just certain things that i can tell within my own christian community that people have interpreted differently now that they're in the 21st century than they did in the 18th century than they did and sometimes it's an interpretation that can harken all the way back to first century or second or third but other times it's something that is more reflective of our time what i like about that idea is like you know those who curse you i will enlighten is it continues to then make make it so that God's mission through the person of Abram, Abraham and Sarah, is to share the the light of God, the hope that God has for the world with the world, right? Um, that this is, you know, we're all going to be blessed because of Abraham. And, you know, it's interesting because you talked about the mission and going out in the world and one of the things that I'm waiting for in this whole section is, and you'll bring light. Because mm. later on, Isaiah will say a that our role is to right. be a light, light to the nations. But it's not mentioned here at the very beginning. And in the beginning right. of the creation, it says the first thing was light. Why isn't it here? So that's another reason I try to stick it in there. I like that. Is that I will enlighten that you'll find out that they're, you're wrong and Jews aren't so bad anyway. <laughs> just look like anybody else, just crazy as nuts. But right. and will be blessed through you, or in you, but through you, all the families yes, on yeah. earth. Yeah. And so now that we have blessing mentioned five times, all together five times in those two verses, two and three. And you have to ask, why five? And there's no real good answer. But one, the obvious answer, whenever a Jew sees five, is to think of the five books of the Torah. You know, right. you'll be blessed through five books of the Torah, and which means all of Judaism. But the, the only time that five is really used as a symbol is as a five-finger discount. That is, when you steal something, hmm. uh, you have to pay it back with a fifth. And so hmm. in, that's in yeah. chapter 5 right. of Leviticus. Right. <laughs> Misappropriating the holy, you have to pay it back with a fifth. So uh, it's it's hard to say that uh, why this fivefold blessing this is here, but it is. And maybe it's just lots and lots and lots, and the, and the author wasn't counting. Hmm. But I'm not counting on that explanation because I find <laughs> the number of things that are rep- repeated are often symbolic. Well, and I think what... I hope people take away no matter what. It's just the the idea and concept that it's a good question to ask. It doesn't mean you have to find an answer for it. Just the simple discipline of asking the question, why five, is even if you don't come upon an answer, it's a good discipline to have so that you're always asking questions when you come to the text to make those connections. And um, and I think you mentioned earlier, like sort of once you start doing it, you can't stop. And that's, it's so true, right? And there's moments where I'll be reading... Uh, you know, a biblical text that I've read a thousand times, but because a different shelf has been built in my head, right, where <laughs> I can now make a connection because of something you just talked about when you made this morning. It's like I wasn't looking at this verse, but then I looked at it and I remember this other connection. Um, once you start doing it, you get in the practice of it, and then they keep popping all the time. And I have people oftentimes say, I want to learn how to do or see the thing that you're seeing when you read the Bible, maybe it'll be on our tours or in teaching or whatever. I think, no, 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 no. All I have to do for you is build a shelf. And once we build that shelf, maybe the shelf's going to be the the Shema, Hero Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord's one is the central commandment. And so then when Christians understand that, read the New Testament with the idea that for those people at that time, this was their central command that they were praying three times a day. 
they'll start to see it. But somebody has to build that shelf for you. So I love that you just at least um, model for all of us, myself included. Hey, why five? I don't know. Maybe this, maybe that, maybe we don't know. But I like to think about the question. So I came up with an answer while you were talking. Great. So when I told you that God's going to make Abraham's name bigger mm. by adding another letter. Yes. The letter is the fifth. Letter it's the fifth letter of the alphabet, alphabet, which is the hey, and which also becomes a symbol for God because that's the one letter that's used twice in God's name. Oh, that's nice. So that's God lovely. will insert Godness Good into midrash. the fivefold blessing of Godness. You know, and we'll, and we'll, we'll, we'll get to heaven. We'll be like, so God, we had all these interesting theories about why five times. He's like, oh, did I do it five times? <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, no, I meant to do that. <laughs> So demonstrating that Avram heard God and intended to fulfill it, it the chapter, uh, verse 4 starts off, Vayelech, so Avram went. So God yeah. says, get going, and Avram went. It's, uh, it's the same word in Hebrew. You can hear it because go, go, and went doesn't sound like anything in English. But, but God says, get going, and Avram goed. He went. <laughs> he went. Yeah. He goed. Vayelech Avram, kasher diber elav Adonai. Avram went just as God told him to. Vayelech ito, and went with him. They did. Lot. And lot is a word which is funny, which later means laudanum which is a kind of opium. And when uh, Joseph is brought down to Egypt, he's in a caravan, which has lot in it. Uh, and so he, <laughs> yeah. does, he doesn't go in a, in a bunch of like uh, rocks or, or, or building construction. He, he goes in a spice caravan, Joseph mm. goes. And so that's kind of fun. Um, Interesting. Lot. Uh, and Avraham was 75 years old, but say to me haran. And he was 75 years old when he left Haran. And one of the things the rabbis say is, Lech Lecha. Okay, we talked about numbers five. Lamed Lech Lecha. Lamed is a 30. Mm-hmm. And Lecha is a 20. Well, let me, and let me just stop for people who don't know this, that the Hebrew letters all have a numerical value. Yes. So for if I were doing an English alphabet, it would be A is 1, B is 2, C is 3. So that's what you're right. referring to right now. Right. And once you, get to, once you get to 9 and once you get to 10, then the next numbers are 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90. And after that, it's 100, 200, 300, 400. Right. And that's the end of the alphabet. Um, so Lech Lecha adds up to 100. Mm. And so how many blessings did he get? He got 100. But here's a couple other things that go on. That is, Abraham, he's 75 when he leaves. He will get another 100 years of life. Oh, that's nice. So he lives yeah. to be 175. And um, the, uh, yeah, sorry, the number of blessings. And it says that when uh, his son Isaac sows seed in the land of Canaan. Right. He reaps a hundredfold. A hundredfold. So, and Jesus references that in his parable of the sower, and um, and a, and a few other moments. If you're reading Jesus's parables, he'll talk about if he's talking about something, he'll say, "Oh, and it was reaped a hundredfold." So it's a it's a hearkening back to Isaac as well. Yep, that's really neat. The other thing I should tell you is I, I wrote a paper on the ten plagues, num- numerical analysis of the 10 plagues. It turns out that the number of times that the plagues' names are mentioned in the story of the plagues is 100. Oh, wow. So it's 10 squared. That's pretty wild. But um, I think, so here's another comment, by the way, on getting yourself out. It says, God's command, get yourself out, had the implication of get out and experience firsthand the tribulation of travelers and emigrants and immigrants. Hmm. And then you will practice hospitality with the greatest of sincerity and compassion. I love that. And that's one of the things that both Jews and Arabs, descendants of Abraham, 
we actually most of us call it the tent of Abraham and Sarah. That is, we right. practice hospitality as best as we absolutely can in memory of Abraham, who will later in chapter 18 of Genesis right. do that with the travelers who come to visit him. Right. And then in the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, um, it says, uh, be careful when you're entertaining strangers because you might be entertaining angels unaware. Yep. So hearkening back to that as well. <clears throat> yeah, that hospitality. And I think, you know, when we talk about the three monotheistic faiths, um, all of us are going to be referring to our father Abraham. And as we see the name of Abraham become great amongst all of our three faiths, as we connect ourselves back to um, Abraham and his family, um, this is a very powerful story of somebody who left all of the protection, trusting in a God he could not see, leaving all of the systems of protection and of worship in his own community and his yep. own family, and and just getting up and going. And similarly, in the um, gospel stories, we'll have portions where Jesus walks over to Zebedee's sons and says, while they're fishing, you know, come follow me. And they drop everything and they go. And I always used to think that that was just madness, that my mom would be so mad at me <laughs> if I had left a mess for my mom to go and follow. But that concept of getting up and going, of lech lecha, um, is something that's all the way back to our father Abraham. So we go on. And so, by the way, when Lot, um, everybody calls him Lot, and he was Lot, when, when he travels with Avram, He's not leaving his father. His father's already dead. Right. So he went. He goes with a bait off. He goes with a bait off. But one of the things yeah. that the rabbis also say is that he he um, he gets a merit for going along with an old guy, right? Mm-hmm. And it's it's akin to the it says the motive of Abraham is love of God. That of Lot is loyalty toward a close relative like Ruth and Naomi. As Abraham was an old man, this action of faith is all the greater. Interesting. And he'll be rewarded for it because when Lot comes upon some misfortune, right? Abraham <laughs> picks the wrong neighborhood. Right. But Abraham is going to go travel miles and miles and miles, like 150 miles more to be able to go and rescue Lot and bring him back home. That's right. Because Lot's part of a of That type of incredible protection is what Abraham's leaving and having to trust God for. Vayikach Avram et Sarai ishto. And Abraham, Avram took Sarai, his wife, et Lot ben Achiv, and Lot his nephew, his, his brother's son. Vekol rechusham asher rechashu veet nefesh veet asher asu baharan veetsu and so they, they left and they took these things that they had acquired. So they took a bunch of stuff with them, but also the nefesh asher asu, the soul that they had made. And nefesh right. is plural, but right. it can be a plural noun. So that the people that they had made in Haran, does that mean the people they had bought? Mm. It doesn't say bought. Mm-hmm. It says people they had made. And so were they slaves? Well, the understanding would be they would probably say that something like slaves, which were not like nefesh, you know, they weren't people if they were really slaves that they had bought. But it says people, the souls that they had made, and because it's expressed mm. that way, the rabbis say they had converted. The men mm. were converted by Avram, the women by Sarah, Sarai. <clears throat> but in any case, it, it, he was traveling with an entourage, Right. It wasn't just a couple people. It was a bunch. 
And later on, he's going to have 318 when he goes to 318 warriors when he goes to rescue Lo. But anyway, um, and they went to Canaan and they came to Canaan. It's kind of interesting. They went to Canaan and they came to Canaan. Good, fine. Vayavor Avram Ba'aretz Ad Mekom Shechem. And he went through the land until he got to the place called Shechem, which means shoulder. Ad Elon Moray, to the tree of the teacher. So you'll see Moray and Moriah. Moriah means God the teacher, and Moray means the teacher. So this is, some people translate it oracle tree, but it was a Canaanite shrine. And the Canaanite was then in the land. The first commentator, Jewish commentator, to pick on that verse was Ibn Ezra, Abraham Ibn Ezra in 11th century, uh, 12th century Spain. And he says, If you understand it, you'll know what it means. Because <laughs> he couldn't say what he wanted to say, hmm. which we modern liberal, scholarly, historical, critical types say, he knew that there's absolutely no reason to write a Torah for the people in the wilderness who are approaching Canaan, which is full of Canaanites, to tell them that the Canaanites were living there then because hmm. the Canaanites were living there now mm-hmm. for them. Mm-hmm. So this is the first statement of historical critical approach hmm. in Jewish commentary. Interesting. That this was not written by Moses in the wilderness for the wilderness generation. Right. It was written for a later generation when the Canaanites weren't living there no more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What yeah. do you do with that? Yeah, I mean, I think when we read through our text, um, there are many places where we would suggest that something is anachronistic, right? That it's a term that we would use today, but it's not the term that would have been used at that time had it been written by somebody in that moment. And we have another moment of that when Abraham goes to... Um, Beersheba, mm-hmm. it says he's in the land of the Philistines. Well, the Philistines aren't in the land yet by the time Abraham's there. The Philistines are going to enter at the same time that Israel enters with Joshua after they cross the Jordan. So that's much later, hundreds of years later, is when we believe that the Philistines are sort of entering in the people of the sea um, at the same time that Israel's coming in. They're going to have a lot that of people's big, on the move at that time. That, right, the big sort of clash of culture at the Shvelah. Um, so we just talk about how, you know, this is a human Shvelah, text. the lowland. The lowlands, yeah. It's a huge. It's, it is a divinely inspired text, but it's also a text that is written in concert and in partnership with humans. And so it's going to have all of those aspects of it. And for Christians that might be uncomfortable with this, um, I have this fun analogy that's worked well for me for years with, that I've used with my, a friend of mine from Israel had shared with me, her name's Sharon, a wonderful scholar. And she said, you know, when we think about the person of Jesus, we believe that Jesus is fully divine and fully human, Right. So in that moment, then, we have this idea that uh, would it be all right as Jesus is growing if he ever tripped and fell and skinned his knee? (laughs) Right. Yeah, of course. Right. He's fully human. But does that make him less God? No, it doesn't. So for in the Christian theology, all this works. But of course, he's fully human. He has that experience. It's not like he's pretending to learn to walk and then never. Jesus didn't float. He walked. Um, So so that's our our idea. And I said, well, every once in a while, your text is going to do that, too. That when the word becomes flesh, which is how the gospel writer John will talk about the person of Jesus, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Um, that for us, like these moments, I would just say, oh, it's, it's just the word becoming flesh. Every once in a while, it trips and skins its knee, but doesn't make it less divine. That's at least how I view it. Vayar, verse 7. Vayera Adonai el Avram. God appeared to Avram. Yes. Vayomer, lazaracha eten et hazot. 
and said, I'll give this land to your seed, meaning your descendants, uh, Isaac, etc. And that would include uh, Ishmael, you would think. But then it says later on, Only through Isaac will your descendants be named descendants, not through Ishmael. So that's later on in 21. Genesis 21. And so Avram built at Shechem an altar to God who had just appeared to him. And Shechem will be the capital of Josh, that Joshua will use. And um, though Joshua is never mentioned as ever having captured Shechem. And so one of the things that's really interesting about the modern historical critical approach is to think that, there, that Israelites were either a radical group of Canaanites, I don't, I don't take a position on that, or they were already in that land, in that area, settled around Shechem, because Joshua is never mentioned as, cap, as capturing it. And so it becomes later on the capital of the northern kingdom, Israel. And these two stories here are from two of the major centers, cultic and political centers. The next one would be Beit El. Beit El is one of two places with Don in the north um, that'll have a temple in it that Jeroboam mm-hmm. will put in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so these are the places that Avraham is actually walking through and claiming as the kingdom of Israel. But isn't, and correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't Shechem the place where the covenant is renewed with Joshua? Yeah, at the end. He right. brings them all there. Right. So he, I never mean, they, ca- he never... So I don't know if it, it has to be captured or they're just there, right? I mean, does he have to capture? Does he have to? Well, what this is saying is the city was preexistent. So he, sure. Joshua didn't build it. Right. The place name is there. The place name is there. Mm-hmm. It means shoulder. It could also be an anachronistic term again. It could be. an anachronistic Whatever right. it is, it's confusing. Um, <laughs> so there he is in Shechem and he builds an altar. So here we have another example of pre-Torah worship. We don't know what he did on that altar. Right. Probably lit a fire of some sort, but what, what he burned on it, we don't know. If he burned it, we don't know. The, the word actually is not altar. It sounds like you're a tailor. You know, I need to alter that shirt. You know, it's too, you know, bring it in. No, but altar is different kind of thing. It means it, the word is mizbeach, and a mizbeach means a slaughter site. Yeah. So he built a slaughter site, and he probably slaughtered something on it. Like Noah. Like Noah, mizbeach. Um, and then it says, this is a great word, misham. and the word yeah, modern word atak means to make a copy. <laughs> but that's not what he did. So everybody interprets it. He left there, in the mountains to the east, levate el to the house of God, or just plain old bait el, or you would say Bethel in English. Right. Um, and he pitched his tent there, bait el, and bait el, miyam on the east, on, on the west, excuse me. Uh, Yama means toward the sea, and that means from the west. Vehaai mikedem with I, the ruin. I is a word for ruin on the east. Vayiven sham mizbeach laronaivi krabeshim and he built another altar slaughter site there to God, and he called out God's name. And why did he? And so we have a we have a story about. Why between Beit El, the house of God, and I, right. the ruin? Because the land that was given to Avram and to the Jewish people thereafter is a land that if you don't make it a house of God, it'll become a ruin. Because mm-hmm. whenever the people rebelled, the northern kingdom was destroyed right. by the Assyrians and the southern by the Babylonians and it over and over and over and over again. And when modern Jews of a 
biblical awareness look at the kind of messy politics of the state of Israel, which are no different than the messy politics anywhere in the world, right. we have another imperative in our head that if we make it into a house of God, it's a good place to live and we'll be fine. And if you make it into a crazy place where it deprives people of their rights, where justice is not there, where it's full of corruption, I'm not going to worry about idolatry. That's just a whole other phenomenon. But all of those things, if it's not a great place, it will be destroyed. Yeah. And so, you know, we, it, it's a different kind of imperative. Which Beit El, Bethel, ends up becoming Bethel and Dan, where that the horrible, you know, sort of abomination of the northern kingdom after the civil war happens between... Judah in the south and Israel in the north, um, they set up golden calves with the exact same language, right, that is going to be from our golden calf incident in Exodus at Dan and Bethel. Right. And so the house of God does become a place of ruin very yep. quickly. Yeah. Yep. By the way, Dan is another one of those uh, places that uh, Ebenezer says, if you know what we're talking about, you'll understand. Um, because when it says Moses gets to the place and looks at the uh, the country, says, from Don to Beersheba. Right. Well, Don didn't get there. The tribe of Don didn't move there. Don would <laughs> go to work. Their tribal allotment was for, towards Bet Shemesh initially. Well, it was Tel yeah. Aviv. <laughs> right, right. And so, and they left because they were a little tribe and they were getting squeezed by Philistines and all kinds of other people. Right so the they north, left yeah. up and exterminated a nice peaceful people up there. Oi, oi, oi. And then they, and uh, so that's when it became known as Don. So it's either, an ac- it's certainly anachronistic. And the to the Moses is, moment. To the moment, Moses moment, right. Yeah. But, you know, we do that today. And that's why it doesn't say that Avram passed through Don, because they hadn't been there yet. So, right, 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 right. But he ends up going back up there. He ends up going back north, but... He goes to, it says Don, Don in, in the text. I'm pretty I, sure. I, Don, yes, when he's rescuing Lot. Lot, yes. yeah. He goes through the big Canaanite gate there that we saw. Remember, we stood in the, what, yes. a couple years ago, Ari, with our yes. group. Yeah. And uh, the last verse, verse 9, And Abraham went in fits and starts, coming and going south toward the Negev. And he, always, he loves the Negev. You know, he's a good desert guy, a good desert shepherd guy. And so Abraham tends to be hanging out in that area, back down again over and he's over. He's a Bedouin. Yeah, it's comfortable there. Life can, yeah. and it's not so far south that there's no life. There's life in the Negev, right? Um, and still Bedouin that, that like to live in that area too. As a matter um, of fact, the last trip we took, there was a lot of life in the, in the Negev. We got there in uh, February, March, and it was a rainy February, March, and before we got in there, and everything was green and full of flowers. Beautiful. I had never, I had never really seen it that green before, and it was green pretty much past Beersheba. South of Beersheba, and it was, it was fascinating just to see that because mm-hmm. it was going to be very brown in a month. Right. Yep. There's two seasons: wet and dry. That's right. Wet and dry. <laughs> That's it. Um, I really like this commentary. I don't know if this is a sort of a fun place to end when, as we think yeah. about Abraham. But in Bereshit Rabbah, it says that when the Holy One said to Abraham, "Leave your land, your birthplace, your father's house," what did Abraham resemble? The rabbis asked, "A jar of scent, like an incense jar, with a tight-fitting lid that was put away in a corner so that its fragrance could not go forth." So when he's back in his father's household, the idol smasher <laughs> household, right? Um, 
um, when he's there, he's just stuck in a corner and, and he smells beautiful. It's beautiful. Instant sherbet's just stuck in that corner. But as soon as he's moved, as he gets up and goes, lech lecha, move from that place, it's opened. The lid comes off and his fragrance spreads throughout the world. To the Holy One said to Abraham, many good deeds are in you. Travel about from place to place so the greatness of my name will go forth in my world. And that's why we're sitting here today, right? Because we both um, can talk about the greatness of Abraham's deeds. And we'll talk more about that again next week of what makes him so worthy of being the father of our faith. In Paul Simon's song, My Little Town, in my little town, I was nothing but just my father's son. Hmm. It wasn't until I got out of town that I got to be who I was supposed to be. Right. Yeah, beautiful. Well, thank you, Ari. Next time we're going down to Egypt with Abraham. It's all right. Again and again. Again and again. (laughs) Okay. In my little town, I never meant nothing. I was just my father's son. Mm -hmm. Saving my mom.